Let's start with a, a metaphor that illustrates something of the sermon series we're going to start today in the book of Proverbs. And this isn't my idea, this, I got this from Alice McKenzie in her excellent commentary on Proverbs. And here it is. On any given Sunday, after the service is over, it's pretty typical that a number of essential items have been left behind. <laughs> and that could be anything from glasses to smartphones to water bottles, lots of water bottles. <laughs> uh, our closet over there gets filled with water bottles, and over time, we end up getting some at home. <laughs> Somebody claims them. So one way we could do, one thing we could do to address a situation, we could have a, a lost and found box and put all the items in there. And then at, at a point in Sunday morning during the liturgy, somebody can bring forward the box to me. And I can walk up and down the aisles and look to see who's squinting to see, who's dying of thirst. And then I reach into the box and distribute the right items to the struggling people and the pews. Well, this is a metaphor for this sermon series, the Proverbs and wise sayings in the book of Proverbs are essential items for living well in ordinary life. And they have, to some extent, for different reasons, been left behind, lost by the people of God and even the preachers of God. And so to address that, every Sunday morning, the serve, during the sermon, the preacher is going to bring out the Proverbs Lost and Found box and reach in and distribute a, a text or two, a proverb or two, essential items for living well in God's world in ordinary time. Now, one of the reasons people and preachers have left Proverbs behind is because of a, a misconception about this book and what's written in here that these Proverbs are just merely self-evident moralisms. Obvious do's and don'ts. Don't get drunk. Stay faithful to your spouse. Be honest. So once you get the message, hey, it's time to move on. We don't need to spend a lot of time with these Proverbs. They're very elementary. Uh, we don't need to spend time reflecting on them. But this take on Proverbs is a, is a superficial read of the book. For example, it neglects to understand the role that imagination plays in these Proverbs. You're meant to read these Proverbs and chew on them and imagine how they are true. And to imagine where and when they apply and where and when they don't apply. Which takes another kind of wisdom. So for example, Proverbs 26, verse 24 says this. Do not answer fools according to their folly lest you be a fool yourself. Verse 5, though, answer fools according to their folly, lest they be wise in their own eyes. It's not a contradiction. It shows you that you need to know how and when to apply a proverb and how and when not to. It's just as important. So they're more complex than we think. And it takes imagination, it takes discernment, it takes wisdom to know that. A superficial reading also neglects to see the growing complexity of the Proverbs as you go along, if you're paying attention. They get more and more complex in, in more and more difficult situations. And it neglects to see the way that Proverbs helps train us in the way of wisdom. 
Proverbs doesn't tell us every situation to deal with. It gives certain examples in order to train us to get to know the way of wisdom, God's wisdom, so that we know how to apply that. We get to learn how to apply that in all the complex situations and decisions we find ourselves in every day. You're meant to get to know wisdom, and then you start to learn better and better how to apply that in the, in the unique places that you find yourself in. Proverbs are not unique to the Bible. They've been around for a long time and play a significant part in human culture. They hold a lot of meaning for us in compact and memorable ways. So you can consider JFK's inaugural speech that most people uh, don't remember most of what that speech is, but they do remember one part that happens to be a proverb. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And just think of how much meaning that proverb holds for us. All the associations we have with that in our culture. Consider the power and influence of a slogan. Marketing is a version of a proverb. This is one of my favorites. This is a little older one. There are some things money can't buy. But for everything else, there's MasterCard. <laughs> Proverbs are used in marketing. They can also be subversive in our culture. Think of this one. A woman's place is in the house and the Senate. A play on another proverb. Proverbs can play a big part in how we communicate and what we desire and are inspired by. And they can play a big part in forming and keeping our identity as a community, as a people. So Ellen Davis, in her excellent commentary on Proverbs, and again, if you were to get one commentary on the book of Proverbs, I would recommend this. If you're going to say, read through Proverbs as we go through Proverbs this summer. Uh, she notes how Native Hawaiians, in their efforts to, to keep from being totally assimilated into American culture, chose to go back to their Proverbs to keep their unique identity and worldview as Hawaiians. So one example is this. When the hala is in bloom, the wana is fat. The hala is a plant. So if you know how to identify a plant and when it's ripe, you know when it's time to go diving for seafood. So that's, uh, as we've already seen, Proverbs play a big part in knowing not just what to say and when to say, but, or what to say, but when and how to say something. The timing of things is so important for wisdom. And Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs 15, 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to anyone, and a word in season, spoken at the right time. How good it is. How bad it is. It's out of season. <laughs> the wrong time. A word fitly spoken, Proverbs 25 says, is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. The people of God need to recover the Proverbs of the Bible. It's one of the ways we keep and form our identity as the people of God, who are meant to be marked to know the wisdom of God. So for the next 13 Sundays, we're going to go through, we're going to pull out the Proverbs Lost and Found box. And we're going to give a, a proverb or two, a passage or two, essential skills for living, for, 
for practicing the art of living well in ordinary life. It's an appropriate book for ordinary time. Today we're going to start with Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. So Kyle, if you could get that next screen up. The preamble, this is the preamble to the book. This summarizes the, both the purpose of the book and the type of wisdom we're talking about. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for knowing wisdom. There's the purpose of the book. Right there. To know that it's the same word in Genesis when Adam knew Eve. So therefore, this is a knowing that includes strong desire for wisdom, comparable to the love of Eros, which is what basically the first chapters, first nine chapters of Proverbs is about. It's playing on our desires. It's speaking to our desire. And we don't need to go as far as Joshua Butler did in talking about this, if you know his book. But we can say this is a knowing that's not just theoretical knowing. This is meant to be intimate and experiential, not just in our minds, but in our desires, in our bodies and senses, in our actions and relationships. That's the kind of wisdom we're talking about. And that outward manifestation of Proverbs comes in chapter 10 and for the rest of the book. So this book, therefore, of wisdom, it's not a book that's so much going to increase your IQ as your EQ your emotional intelligence, your ability to navigate your own and other people's emotional state, and how to do well in that situation. It's going to increase your EQ, your, your related SQ, your social intelligence, how to read a given social situation or relationships, and how to know how to act appropriately in that setting. And it's also going to increase, most of all, your GQ. Not the magazine intelligence, but your God intelligence. How to live by the fear, the holy awe of Yahweh, the great I am. John Dunn called that the art of arts and the root and fruit of all true wisdom. The Proverbs the book of Proverbs are for knowing this kind of wisdom. This wisdom, which is also a discipline. Though some translations have instruction, but I think discipline, uh, which is what other translations go with, is much better because this takes some work. This takes us chewing on these Proverbs, letting them play on our imagination, getting their flavor, savoring that flavor, letting them nourish us, letting them correct us in discipline, learning them by heart, memorizing these proverbs, which is one way, again, of intimate knowing. If we let the internet be our memory, we will never grow in wisdom. We are meant to learn these by heart. Therefore, every week in the Friday email, we're going to post the passage that's coming on the Sunday, on the Friday email, to give you a chance to read and maybe memorize a section of the coming passage. Let that percolate in you. And if you do that reading and memorizing, you're going to get, I believe, more out of the sermon and more 
only God's word is going to get more out of you. Little day, Father, for you. <laughs> for knowing wisdom and discipline. And it starts with this, for understanding words of insight. That's where we start. We start with the mind. We don't set aside the mind. We need to understand what we're talking about. We just don't stop there. We understand what understanding is for. The philosopher John McMurray, who I've quoted before, I've quoted this very uh, quote before, who was inspired by Hebrew wisdom and especially the teaching and wisdom of Jesus, summed up his philosophy in this way. All meaningful knowledge is for the sake of action. And all meaningful action is for the sake of friendship. That's a problem. <laughs> and it's close to the movement and meaning of the book of Proverbs, if you're paying attention. So for understanding words of insight, <laughs> meaningful thought. For gaining instruction in prudent behavior, meaningful action. For what is right, just, and fair, the kinds of things that make for flourishing in individuals and in relationships and communities that usually the fruit of is friendship, meaningful, beautiful friendships when those things are practiced. That is ultimately what true wisdom, God's wisdom, is for. It's not just expressed in the syntax and the grammar of this passage, it's also in the chiastic structure of this passage. So, for example, if you're paying attention to the phrases, you'll notice, this is very typical of Hebrew wisdom literature or just uh, Hebrew writing in general, you have a passage at the beginning, a phrase that's connected to the one at the end with phrases or ideas. So it's AA. And then the next one is BB. Those phrases are connected. Then you have CC. And you get to X, you get to the middle, and there's no comparison because that's the chiastic center, the crux of what we're talking about. So the chiastic center of knowing wisdom is having the skills to know what is right and just and true in any situation. Righteousness, doing what is right, is a willingness to disadvantage myself in a given situation in order to advantage someone else or the community. That's the biblical understanding of righteousness. Whereas wickedness is the opposite. It's that I'm out to live to advantage myself, and I do that by disadvantaging others or the community. That's wickedness. And there's a certain kind of wisdom in knowing how to do that. But the Bible won't call that wisdom. It will call that wickedness. <clears throat> but God's wisdom is always linked to righteousness. So that's why these can be interchangeable terms sometimes. The wise and the righteous. Wisdom and righteousness. And if you're going to give yourself to righteousness, that should lead you to pursue things like justice and equity for all especially for the oppressed, the, the vulnerable, and the enslaved among us. And so with Juneteenth, Juneteenth approaching, we can think this kind of wisdom is a Harriet Tubman kind of wisdom. 
Proverbs says that life, that kind of life, is a successful life. That's a life well lived. That's someone living the good life. So who is this wisdom for? This is for the simple. To teach shrewdness to the simple, to the naive, to those yet uncommitted to a way. Which is moving now beyond the teens, to the twenties and thirties. This is for the young, to teach knowledge and prudence to the young. But let the wise too hear and add to their learning. The discerning acquires skill in their discerning. Basically, everybody's got something to learn, no matter where you're starting out, where you happen to be. You've got something to learn from Proverbs and the art of living well. To understand a proverb and a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. Again, these proverbs and words contain parables. They contain riddles that aren't so straightforward all the time. Again, they're going to require our serious thought and imagination discernment. But most of all, they're going to require a commitment to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the great I Am. The fear of Yahweh is the foundation of knowledge, of wisdom. The fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the Hebrew word here for Lord, this is God's covenant name. This is Yahweh. Translated also as I am, the short version of God's full sentence name, I am who I am. The sphere of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. It's, it's how you start, like in a building, you build a foundation. That's how you start, and it's upon which everything else rests and gets its stability. Knowledge here is just a synonym for wisdom. If you read in chapter 9, it's the same phrase it's going to say, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. These are interchangeable terms. And again, this is expressed not just in the syntax and grammar, but in the chiastic structure of this passage. So you notice everything that has been said about wisdom is above, that is built upon the fear of Yahweh, the foundation of Yahweh. And this is a fear that is, is reverence, is holy awe. It's the holy awe that acknowledges the great I am as not only the source of life, but the source of all wisdom, of all true wisdom. So in fact, this takes us back to the tree of life that we talked about during Easter. And Proverbs is one of the only books that talks about the tree of life, apart from Genesis and Revelation. It mentions it four times. And that stands for, the tree of life stands for God being the source, deciding what is true and false, what is wise, what is foolish, what is good and bad, and everything in between. And eating that fruit will bring life to us, eternal life even. Whereas the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's the, the tree for fools. That's deciding for ourselves what is good and bad and everything in between. And that fruit leads to death. That's a big message of Proverbs. Well, one of the ways we get this wisdom from God, he gives it to us in a number of ways, but one of the ways, the key ways, is through these words in 
Proverbs. Ultimately, he shares this with us through the words and life of Jesus, the wisdom of God, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as Paul says, including these words of Proverbs. So to hear these words of Proverbs, especially the words of Jesus, and to put them into practice, to know them, is, as Jesus said, to build your house upon the rock, that foundation. And when the chaotic elements come, the house is going to stand. It's going to remain. But to hear these words and neglect them to put them into practice is like building your house, like Jesus said, on the sand. So notice the fool isn't on the foundation in this passage. The fool doesn't listen to God's wisdom. The fool despises being corrected by God. The fool is not teachable. Therefore, this fool, their house, is eventually going to come crashing But as we see in the book of Proverbs, God still loves the fool. God still calls out to the fool at the gate in the city square. God is calling out, and in Proverbs, it's through this character, this metaphor of lady wisdom. If you have your bullets, and that's the, the picture that's being represented there on the front. We're going to hear more about her in weeks to come. But through lady wisdom, God is calling out to all to come to learn about the way of wisdom, to learn how to live well in this world, how to live a good life. And as you learn this wisdom, you're going to start to be able to recognize in culture and in your life what corresponds and what contradicts the way of wisdom. So for example, in the time when Proverbs was being written, there was a lot of wisdom literature going around. There was very popular thing to talk about right about, uh, and especially in Egypt. And so what you see in the Bible is both uh, a critique, uh, a, a challenge to that wisdom, and an affirmation of some of that wisdom that corresponded to the way of the wisdom of God. So there's polytheism going on in Egypt. Well, the Bible speaks against that. That's not the wisdom. That's not the fear of the Lord. But it seems very apparent that the book of Proverbs has learned from, has taken in even Proverbs from Egypt and brought it into the book, Proverbs. Building it, of course, on the fear of God, on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. But nevertheless, still saying, ha, things in culture can contradict and correspond to the way of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom going on around here in Greater Boston, in the schools and industry of Greater Boston. And some of that contradicts the way of wisdom. And some of that corresponds to the way of wisdom. And our job as the people of God is to learn the way of wisdom so that we can grow in our discernment of wisdom in culture and in our own life. So a few weeks ago, I mentioned my plans to form a preaching team made up of the clergy here at Church of the Cross and those pursuing ordination. And the goal, again, is to, is to raise the bar here at Church of the Cross in our preaching to higher than it is, and to meet once a month to uh, encourage one another for equipping, for study, for collaborative feedback, so that we can craft sermons that are 
expository, that are culturally, personally relevant, that are Christ-centered, that are clear and creative and helpful. Well, the team is formed, and we had our first meeting already, and it was wonderful. It was great, lots of energy in the room. And so how this is going to work is I'm going to, I'm going to be preaching every two to three weeks. And in between there, we're going to have someone, people from the preaching team, fill in those different spots. And that's going to free me up to meet with more people, which I always want to be able to do, to give myself to other things and, and, and working on the vision and mission of this church and just a lot of strategic things that require my time. I don't have time to always give myself to. And it's going to give us a, a variety of voices. I will still be the dominant voice in preaching here. But you're going to hear a variety of voices and I think better sermons overall because we're going to have weeks to prepare for these sermons. And we're going to be collaborating together and working on series more so there's more of a, a continuity in our preaching and teaching. This idea wasn't my idea. Uh, and you always have to be original to be wise. <laughs> what you do need to do is recognize uh, when it's there and, and how to Grab it. And I think that was Stephen King said, you know, it's not your job to come up with new words, it's your job to recognize a good word and a phrase and get it and use it and adapt it. So even JFK, that famous uh, saying we heard earlier, that wasn't original. That actually came from uh, one of his schools that he grew up in. And he adapted it, he applied it to his situation. The book of Proverbs isn't totally original. There is stuff from other cultures, it seems, to be brought in. There was a recognition, this is wisdom, this is God's wisdom. And we're going to apply that in our situation here, baptize it in the fear of God. And so yeah, I, uh, I heard this idea from a number of people who had come to me, and uh, both people at this church and people beyond this church, uh, the good reasons for doing this preaching team. So eventually I just decided to surrender <laughs> to what seemed to me the wisdom of God coming to me and, and challenging me in this way. And so I, I listened to Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. That's what I want to be. I want to be counted among the wise. And I guess we'll see if that's true in the weeks and months to come. But it's ultimately to recognize all wisdom, even if it's not original to us, and none of it is ultimately, because ultimately it all comes from God. He is the source of wisdom that trickles down to us in different ways. And again, our job is to grow in that discernment. But just to recap, knowing wisdom, the art of living well in ordinary life, that is the goal of Proverbs. The chiastic center of knowing this skill, this art, is knowing to do how to do what is right and just and fair. And the foundation of this wisdom is the holy awe of Yahweh. May we be a people marked and known for this wisdom. Amen. Amen.